Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon Podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's Word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. From the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21, verses 34 through 38. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. The word of the Lord. second Sunday of Advent, season of eager but patient waiting for the Messiah to come. We join with God's ancient people, Israel, as we waited for Messiah to come, and we join with the church eagerly anticipating Jesus' return. Only though this patient, eager waiting can we begin to join in with Zechariah's song written in Luke chapter 1, verses 68 through 79, a song he sung just as the light of the coming Savior began to break forth and blush on his people who have waited so and so long. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has looked favorably on his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke through the month of his holy prophets for of old, and that we have been saved from out and from out enemies, and from the hand of all who hated us. Thus he has showed the mercy promised to our ancestors, and has remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he has sworn. To our ancestor Abraham, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him of all days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins, by the tender mercy of our God. The the dawn from our high will break upon on us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the ways of peace. Let us pray. God of timeless grace, you fill us with joyful expectation. Make us ready for the message that prepares the way that with uprighteousness of heart and holy joy we may eagerly await the coming of your, of your Son, Jesus Christ, who reigns with you in the Holy Spirit now and forever. God of hope, you raised up John the baptizer as a herald who calls us to conversation as we joyfully await the glor- gloriousness of the coming of God. We pray to you for the needs of the church. Hear all. Hear our humble prayer that we may serve you in holiness and faith and give voice to your presence among us until the days of the coming of our Son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen.
Thanks, Mike. Fine. And everybody else. I we need to hire like a wedding coordinator that tells me when I'm supposed to. I mess things up all the time. Whenever the doctor at the end of when I take the kids to appointments, they're like, "All right, now when would you like to schedule the next one?" And I'm like, "Don't. I don't do that." So. Um, all right. Good morning. Um, hope everybody's doing well. Uh, Luke 21, 34 through 38 was our passage that Mike read earlier. Uh, and uh, if you want to turn there, you can. I'll actually go back through it a little bit later, kids. Uh, we have uh, Elevate this morning, which is first and second grade. And it looks like we have uh, EGC this morning, which is third, fourth, second, third, fourth, and fifth grade. Third, fourth, and fifth grade. Whichever grades are not in youth group or Elevate are in that other one. And I think I see some middle-aged adults cheating the system here uh, who are not in third, fourth, or fifth grade, but are still leaving. I'm kidding. All right. Uh, everybody else, you're in here. And, and now we've got room to stretch out a little bit. Uh, this morning, we're officially starting uh, our um, Advent sermon series uh, called A Better Story. Which, and just a quick shout out, and I know he hates this, but Mike Fine does the graphics here, and it, I, he just like spits them out, and I saw this and I was like, oh my gosh, that's awesome. Uh, so, um, we're going to be spending the next few weeks going through a better story, and really what we're going to be looking at uh, through this is the, the, the themes of Advent, Advent, to wait, prepare, rejoice, and love, but also how those, how scripture just gives us uh, a better story. There's a, um, we're going to examine ourselves, we're going to examine our tendencies, and we're going to look at the cultural story that's at work around us versus uh, the story of God and how Scripture just flat out tells a better story to our hearts, to our lives, and to the world around us. So we're going to be taking uh, December uh, to walk through those themes. Um, Okay, everybody good? So this is, this is not, uh, this is the Advent season, and so we'll get, we'll explain a little bit more about that as we go. Um, one of the most, I think, redemptive and encouraging shows on television, maybe like ever, uh, but certainly in recent history, uh, is, is Ted Lasso on, a- on Apple TV. Now, a couple things. One, it's $4.99 a month, and yes, it's worth it. If you get a new Apple TV, if you get a new Apple product, I'm not like I don't get endorsed for this. This is not like preachers with sneakers or anything. Uh, it's $4.99 a month, and you'll binge watch the show at least twice in that month. I promise you. The second thing to be aware of, it is British humor. It's got a little British, little salty language in it. So, uh, so just that's fair warning. Um, but uh, it is. It's so redemptive. And even Jason Sudeikis, who created the show and is the director of the show, uh, was a little surprised at how well it caught on in America because it, it's really, it contains two things that Americans are not very fond of, soccer and kindness. Um, but uh, there's a scene early on in, uh, there's a scene early on, I think it's actually in the second episode, the star player is Jamie Tart. Da, 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 da. All right, uh, and uh, and then the other um, the other player that's new to the team uh, and new to the league is um, Sam. I've got his uh, Obasanya. 
And Jamie Tart makes Sam look foolish on the pitch. Sorry, all right? Makes him look foolish and then comes back and talks trash to him. And Ted Lasso calls Sam over to the side and, and he's, he's giving him a little pep talk. And he says, Sam, you know what the happiest animal in the world is? And he says, no. And he says, it's a goldfish. Got a 10-second memory. Be a goldfish, Sam. What comes next in the sermon is disturbing. Uh, I'm just going to tell you that now. Scientists have discovered actually that goldfish have a nine-second attention span. Uh, now, in research from 2015 and then again in 2021, the average human attention span is estimated to be about eight seconds. So to be a goldfish, you have to strive and hang in there and fight for that extra second of attention. Now, as sad and disturbing and, and, and uh, maybe uh, just as, as striking as that information may be, here's the good news. You'll probably forget about it by the end of the sermon. <laughs> we are inundated, absolutely inundated with information, designed information, news stories, debates, blogs, flash media, commercials, screens upon screens upon screens. And we, I, and just let me tell you, I hate this sermon. I hate this sermon. So if, if it comes across like I'm up here going like this, I'm up here going, why am I preaching this? Take that into effect. We go from distraction to distraction. And while there's a lot of debate these days about what, it, what is heresy, what's good doctrine and bad doctrine, what's going to destroy the church, what's going to destroy America, what's the future of all these things, which organization is going to make it through, what is truth, all this kind of stuff, the reality is the greatest threat to our faith just might be distraction. And here is the great irony of this that I typed on Wednesday. That while typing this specific section, I took a second, just a second, to reply to a text. And while I was doing that, I checked email, then glanced at my checking balance, had a brief conversation with the barista about my real first name, Harold, when she called my, uh, my coffee out to, that was ready, glanced quickly at an Instagram video, and then got back to, okay, now what was I typing? So, this morning I want to give some context to the passage that we read. Jesus is saying, uh, keep watch, watch yourselves. I want to give context to the passage that we just read, then I want to go give a quick view of Advent, and then I want to call us this week to action, the theme this week, I want to call us to actively wait. W-A-I-T, to actively wait. So first, let's give just some context to this passage. Jesus is preaching and he's saying, keep watch over yourselves. Don't be given in to either despair or to distraction uh, in the world around you. He's in Jerusalem. It's near the end of his ministry uh, and, um, it, and nearing the end of his life. And his parables are getting more and more poignant. His teaching is getting more and more direct and becoming pretty obvious 
Earlier in this chapter, he tells the parable of the tenants in the vineyard. And if you remember that parable, uh, we talked about this, uh, I think, two, uh, uh, two summers ago, where Jesus gives a parable about tenants who are the owner of the vineyard, sends a servant to collect some of the wine. And the tenants, uh, they, they wound another, and they just keep hurting and beating off the, the tenants that are coming. And so the owner sends his son to collect from his land the wine. And when they send the son, the tenants go, oh, you know what we should do? We should kill the son. And if we do that, then the vineyard will be ours. Now, we sit back and go, boy, that seems pretty obvious. And I will tell you, uh, the religious leaders of the day did not like what Jesus was saying. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, it was exposing their lust for the kingdom to be their kingdom, the one that they protect, that they stand guard over, instead of God's kingdom. They get to call the shots. They are the holy ones. Everyone else is lesser than, has to come to them for, as the expert. And Jesus says to beware of the scribes who only seek to draw attention to themselves, who are about their kingdom, for they will receive even greater condemnation. And then as Jesus is looking around, even in the mundane, he sees the wealthy people coming up and giving their offerings at the table. But he notices, Jesus even points out, the widow who comes and gives virtually nothing in the scheme of things, but it's everything she has. And he points this out, how beautiful this is. And then Jesus starts to talk about the end of days. Now, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, so I'm only going to hit some of the highlights here. But he's, Jesus is talking in multiple realms here. He's talking about his death and resurrection. He's talking about the destruction of the physical temple in 70 AD. He's talking about the final consummation of all things that will happen one day. And we can have lots and lots of fun discussions about exactly what Jesus knew and what he didn't. Jesus was human. He was fully God and fully human. So we don't know how much, like specifically how much he knew uh, even about that. We can have lots of fun discussions about that. Um, and, and what is being inferred and when the end of time will be, I will tell you that anyone who speaks dogmatically on that, of when the end of time will be, uh, just be careful. Be careful of those. And as we talked about this a few weeks ago, we can get endlessly caught up in these debates and these discussions, and we can take sides, and we can make certain things evil, and we can, we can put, our, put a whole you know, felt... Thing across the top here with diagrams and charts and graphs and all that type of stuff. But the reality of the warning that Jesus is giving is not a call to debate when the end of time will be. It's not a call to defeat those people. It's a call to be attentive. And part of me is like, dang it. <laughs> attentive to our souls, to our desires to our actions, to our motives and what's really behind these things, to our commitments and where we put our time and our effort and our energy, to our, to our devotion and our affection, and more, more than all of those things, to be attentive to the presence of God in everything. And in this case, the religious leaders, the ones that we look to, the guys on TV telling us and contending for Jesus, they are so caught up in their own fight for power, that they fail to notice the very Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, one being with the Father, through him all things were made. 
was standing right in front of them. If we were to turn around and look behind us at the path we are trotting, what does that demonstrate? If we stop and look around us, if we're, if we're able to stop and look around us. Brene Brown once said if we started uh, support groups for busyness, we would, fill, we would fill football stadiums. Is it possible... Not that there is a threat to the gospel, but maybe the greatest threat to our enjoyment and participation in the gospel, to our generation, to the joy and our salvation, isn't drugs or masculinity or false doctrines or the Russians or some other conspiracy movement, but simply distraction. We live in a tragic and hurried and busy world, and we're bombarded with tragic, tragic and polarizing information all the time, broken up by cat videos. And how often are we numbing out rather than what Jesus calls us to stay awake? Now, here's the deal. Jesus, we are called to look at the life of Jesus. For the follower of Jesus, we're called to look at the life of Jesus. He is both our Savior and example. And Jesus, uh, he went to feasts, he had deep and abiding friendships. He went to celebrations. He enjoyed being around people. He was present and attentive. So I'm not suggesting that the call to follow Jesus and to keep our eyes open is at all the call to like some kind of removed monasticism or the 24-hour prayer gathering slash Bible study. I think it is the call to the fullness of life. Also, in the season of Advent, and I know it, it, it wears on, you know, but, but we want Christmas, we want Christmas. The season of Advent is the season to wait and anticipate. It's actually for the sufferer. The season of Advent is actually for the sufferer to wait and anticipate and long for the return of Jesus. But, but, you need to know and not forget that the liturgical church calendar also has days and seasons of celebration and light, and service. So, if we did an assessment of our lives, why do you think we're so tempted to numb out? What drives us to scroll mindless hours on the internet to binge watch shows that, and what's funny now is, is if a show is already three seasons long, then we just don't have the time to commit. <laughs> I can't commit to something over three seasons. It's too much. To watch hours and hours of cable news, entertainment, memes, YouTube video after YouTube video. We're becoming a nation of functional alcoholics driving through the enchanted forest with vast beauty all around us while we stare at our phones and just get more and more outraged or more and more indifferent or more and more busy. There was a study done in 2014. <laughs> this gets sad. There's a study done in 2014 asking people to sit with their thoughts. No technology, no <coughs> pens, no paper, just sit in a room with their thoughts. Some actually had guided prompts. Some were just given the freedom to think about whatever you want. Everybody rated it bad. 
<laughs> I don't like this. For anywhere from six to 15 minutes. So scientists did a few of these research, uh, scientists, I don't know who came up with this. Uh, but then um, torturers, maybe we should call them. Um, the, the prison guards came up with this uh, thought. And then, and then the last one they did was they had people sit in a lab room for 15 minutes. One chair and a clicker that would shock them. Now, every one of the participants, 100%, said they would actually pay money to avoid being shocked. Guys, 67% of men shocked themselves. 25% of women shocked themselves rather than sitting in a room with their thoughts for 15 minutes. Now, to qualify that, one year my father-in-law gave out stun guns to all of his granddaughters and, or daughters and daughter-in-laws, and we didn't even have to sit alone in our thoughts, and at least four of us wound up shocked. We are in this kind of enigmatic, this puzzling culture. We want results or we want to numb out. We want to chase our dreams or we want to be the two-day work week. We have a technology now that tells us every week, every week, how much time we spend on it. I hate that setting. I'm sure there's a way to get it off. I just haven't taken time to look at it. What we see over and over and over again in Scripture, as a gift from God, is to wait. In Advent, we enter into a season of waiting, letting the anticipation build. And what we wait for in Advent is a reminder of the saints of old as they waited for God to work. Uh, the word for wait is everywhere in the Hebrew Scriptures, and there's a few different variations of it, but kavah. The first time this is actually used is the very beginning in Genesis 1. God gathers the waters and tells them to wait. And it's not until verse 20, I think it's day 5, that he actually then, uh, day 4, that he populates the waters. We are called to kavah on the Lord. Israel waited for God to carry out his vengeance against Babylon, and they didn't wait well. Job Waited, he said he expected for good to come from the Lord, but then came evil. But his longing eventually would be assuaged. The psalmist used this over and over again. Psalm 39, those who have on, on the Lord will inherit the land. Wait for the Lord, keep his way, and he will exalt you. Isaiah 59, justice is far from us and, the righteous, and righteousness does not overtake, uh, overtake us. We wait for light, but we walk in gloom. The wisdom of Proverbs, chapter 20, verse 22, do not say, I will repay evil for evil, but wait for the Lord, and he will save you. In the desert book that is Lamentation, Jer uh, Lamentations, Jeremiah beautifully, uh, his beautiful song in chapter 3, in the middle of his crying out, Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. We're not going to sing it, but the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. 
Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. The soul who seeks him. It's good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Different connotations and different words mean different things in the Hebrew for wait. Yakal is an expectant or hopeful wait. Shul is writhing or an anxious longing. Shaka is the long-lasting, desperate wait. But all of them carried various connotations. They waited. They looked. They expected. They hoped. In Luke 2, we see Simeon a righteous and devout priest in Israel who was waiting for and looking for the consolation of Israel. God told uh, Simeon that he would not taste death until he had seen the Lord's Christ. And then Mary and Joseph brought the baby Jesus and the Holy Spirit revealed to Simeon, this is him. This is the one. And Simeon says in Luke chapter 2, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. Luke 7, John the Baptist first hears about Jesus. John, who was in the wilderness declaring the way of the Lord, declared to make the path straight. And John is uncertain whether this is the one or not, and so he sends his disciples to talk to Jesus. And they ask him, uh, Are you the expected one? Are you the one that we have been waiting for? And Jesus responds and he quotes from Isaiah 61. He tells John's disciples to go back and tell him what you have seen and heard. Go tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The poor have the good news preached to them. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. In other words, Jesus is saying, yes, I am the fulfillment of your kavah. The design of the season of Advent is that we remember and that we enter into this longing and waiting and expectation and hope. The hope of the saints of old, but also in our present day, to wait for the return of, of our king. The verse we read earlier, uh, Luke 21, 34, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth, but stay awake and at, uh, at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. This passage needs a little bit of context, I think, because we may hear this like a trap, and we may easily go to, like, the Left Behind series, like, oh, we're just going to be wandering around, and all of a sudden everybody is gone, and their clothes are folded neatly, and, uh, and, and like, they're, you know, who's flying the plane? Um, I don't think that's what Jesus was bringing to light here when he was talking to his followers. I think what he was saying is there should be nothing fearful about my return. 
it shouldn't seem like a trap to you. It should be looked forward to with joyful and glorious anticipation. There should be nothing bad about this. You don't want this day to shock you. You want this day to be, finally, you're here. Uh, we've had a couple times now where my daughter, who's in college, has gotten rides home, which is great. It's much better than me driving 14 hours round trip to get her. She'll call us or text when they leave uh, Chattanooga. And it's about a seven-hour drive. Nashville is a variance of about three hours. Uh, and... Um, and so eventually I'll go and I'll drive out to the meeting place and it's usually, it's been late at night when I've picked her up and I drive out to the gas station where, we're all, where everybody's going to meet who's getting rides home and I follow the blue dot and watch where the car is and every car that turns into the gas station, I'm like, is that, is that her? Is that her? Is that her? This, this is what we're called to. Anticipation. Joyful Anticipation. Not like a trap, but just a joyful waiting for our king to return. And then Jesus tells us to stay awake at all times. Now, let's acknowledge, please, that that word and those words have been so misused everywhere in our culture. The same people that tell us to wake up people then get mad when everybody's woke. So it's impossible to please some people. Um, but what Jesus means here is not a lack of sleep. He does, however, it does have, however, have a lot to do with cultural awareness. But even more, more so within that is a spiritual awareness within the world that we live in. Not to, not to get away from the world, but within the world that we live in to grow in our awareness of God's kingdom that is at work all around us, all the time. To wait in Scripture was not to twiddle your thumbs or get bored. It's not meant as a time for us to numb out. Henry Nouwen talks about active waiting. And this is what he says. I love this. He says, most of us consider waiting as something very passive, a hopeless state determined by events totally out of our hands. The bus is late. We can't do anything about it, so we have to sit there and just wait. It's not difficult to understand the irritation people feel when somebody says, just wait. Words like that push us into passivity. Or, in our day, our phones. Distraction. Never do we fear standing in line. Ever again. Because we have a phone. But, there is none of this passivity in Scripture. Those who are waiting are waiting very actively. They know that what they are waiting for is growing from the ground on which they are standing. Right here is a secret for us about waiting. If we wait in the conviction that a seed has been planted and that something has already begun, it changes the way we wait. Active waiting implies being fully present to the moment with the conviction that something is happening where we are and that we want to be present for it. A waiting person someone who is present to the moment, believing that this moment is the moment. When we actively wait, we are awake and present, and it actually accomplishes something in us as well. A time of waiting biblically is not wasted time. It's actually building and growing. 
Isaiah 40, uh, in the very, very famous passage, even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their, what class? Strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run, but not be weary. They will walk and not faint. Romans 5. Paul says, not only that, but we rejoice even in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. We live in a world that tells the story of efficiency, or immediate gratification, or quick results, or fast delivery, or fill up yourself and whatever makes you feel good. A world that extends a consumer-driven Christmas when retail stores start to stock their shelves with blow-up Christmas decor for your front yard in August. That's the war on Christmas. Um, and by the time Christmas gets here, we're just ready for it to be done. God uses waiting to shape us and form us, to train us and teach us, to strengthen us. Waiting teaches us that this world can be good when we don't mistake it for heaven. It teaches us that this world can be tragic, but it's not the end. Waiting teaches us that we are not good saviors. Waiting reminds us that our hope is not in our personal accomplishments or our free time or our endless entertainment options. Waiting takes our solutions and our answers out of our hands and instead helps us meet with God in the moment. Waiting drives us through a scenic mountain view or a forest tapestry where we're not glued to a phone, but present to the majesty of God and his kingdom on display all around us from the gloriously beautiful to the painfully mundane. He is at work. Waiting tells a story that the world is not all there is. And that our hope, our fulfillment, and our salvation come from a kingdom that is here, it is already, but it is not yet. But one day it will fully be. And that is already at work in us. Waiting helps us to grow strong in our faith, to learn to forgive, to learn to tear down walls that we've built up for self-protection, to learn to be vulnerable, to learn to be less, less, less and less selfish, to learn to trust God, and to trust God with other people. Waiting takes time to build strength. But you need to know that God's desire is not to meet with you once you get it all together. Uh, not once you get all the chores done, or once you get life uh, in order, or whenever you have time. God's desire is to meet you and to meet me in every moment. 
And for you to see that he is at work in the hectic, he is at work in the major events, he is at work in the gloriously boring moments where we're tempted to numb out. This is the story of God. And I want to compel you. I want, I, I want to grasp a hold that, that this story is far, far better, a far better reality than anything we could ever be sold on Black Friday or Cyber Monday. This is the invitation to Advent, to wait. Eager anticipation, the return of our King. And then we do this together as a people. So this is the practice I want to commend to you uh, for the season of Advent. Um, And listen, the call to wait is never the call, and Jeremy brought this up in the offering. While we are waiting, we serve and love and give, and those things are always done. What we don't do is we don't fix. We don't save. We serve faithfully while we wait for Christ to come back and make all things new. So this is a practice I want to commend to you. Uh, There are a lot of Advent readings, calendars, or regular scripture readings uh, that I would commend to you. So I'm not going to give you necessarily a specific one. Uh, Will, is Tracy in here? Somebody remind me. We'll put put an Advent reading on on the app, okay? But here's what I want you to do while you are doing an Advent reading or a daily prayer or a daily scripture time. Do it in a time where uh, if you can do it with roommates, you can do it with friends, you can do it with family, you can do it by yourself, but do it in a, at a specific time or a specific event, uh, event uh, or rhythm that you do every day, that when you're getting ready to do this Advent reading or this prayer or this scripture reading, take a minute and light a candle. If you have an Advent wreath, that's great. Light a candle on the Advent wreath. Um, and this is what I want you to do when you do it. To be reminded to slow down for a minute, uh, that our lives are not about getting all we can. They're not about chasing our dreams or sucking the marrow out of life, but that there is a kingdom at work. A light has come into the darkness and will one day usher in the full light of Christ where we will no longer even need the sun. And so when you light the candle, if you do it together with other people or if you do it by yourself, just have a simple phrase that you put with that. Christ is the light of the world. A light has come into the darkness. Something simple. But take time, and during this season of Advent, to light a candle, to slow down and remember That in all of our labor and in all of our rest, God is at work. We are actively waiting with eager anticipation for the return of our King. Let's pray. Jesus, you are at work. You are at work on the days that I see it, and you are at work on the days that I don't see it. You are at work in the darkness, and you are at work on the days that seem wonderful. You are at work on the days that I am overwhelmed with fear and anxiety, and you are at work on the days when I feel like the world is my cloud and I can walk wherever I want. You are at work not only in me, but you are at work in others around me. You are at work in the world. You are at work in people who get it and find joy in it and 
much to the chagrin of several people. You are at work and people who don't even trust you or know you or maybe even an active rebellion against you. And you will work all things for, uh, for the good of those who love you. So help us to not think of ourselves more highly than we ought. Help us to not be so driven by achievement that we miss you. Help us to not be so driven by distraction and numbing out that we miss you. Give us eyes to see that you are at work at all times around us so that we can actively wait and anticipate your return. In Jesus' name, amen. Building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.